Good morning. How many can agree with me that you were incredibly, miraculously saved? For any guests, we don't raise our hands a lot, but that is one where we're happy to do it. Incredibly, miraculously saved. Let's just take a moment, shall we, in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you now. First and foremost, for your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And yes, we rejoice that we are incredibly, miraculously saved. Bound for heaven. What a glorious thought. Now we pray, Lord, as we open your word, that we might behold wondrous things from it. We pray that you would hide me in the shadow of Calvary. That my words would be your words, Lord. And show us what you would have us to learn from your word this morning. And we pray also if there's anyone here this morning, guests or otherwise, that still don't know you, that still can't quite understand what it means to be incredibly, miraculously saved. We pray for them this morning, that they might discover how much God loves them, how much he wants to do for them, and how he wants to spend eternity with them forever. We pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you turn with me this morning to the book of Revelation? The book of Revelation, chapter 21. This is an easy one. Last book in the Bible. Not so hard to find as some of the minor prophets in the Old Testament. We will start reading from verse 1. Take your time when you get there. We'll start. This is, however, not a study on the book of Revelation, but rather one revelation that is exclusively for the believers, the born-again Christians, is what we're going to look at this morning. But always open to all that turn to him. And accept him as Lord and Savior. The book of Revelation. Chapter 21. Starting in verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And the first heaven and the first earth passed away. And there no longer was any sea. And I saw the holy city. Jerusalem. New Jerusalem. Coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them, and he will wipe away every tear. From their eyes. And there will no longer be any death. 
There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write, for these, things, for these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of water of life without cost. He who overcomes will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. May the Lord bless the reading of his scripture to us this morning. I'm always fascinated by the different men and women who took God as their life and their cause. They believed him. They believed him in all his glory. They believed everything they read about him. There was no room for doubt. They realized that their, by faith that their life was an eternal life and that they would be with him in heaven. And I believe this is why they had such a desire to please him, to obey him, to follow him, and to be his spokesman to the people of this world in spite of the obstacles that came their way. It says, no need to turn, it says in 2 Timothy 2.10, For this reason I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, so that they also may obtain salvation which is in Christ Jesus and with it eternal glory. These are the words of Paul. And Paul knew about what it was he was talking about. Because he was stoned, wasn't he, at one point? And he died. And he went to heaven. But God would not let him describe it when he came back. God would not let him say all that he saw. But we do get a little glimmer in the words eternal glory. When we get to heaven... We shall behold him. All his attributes, all his character, all his goodness, creation, power, his love, his beauty, we will behold that. We will be surrounded by his presence. We will instantly at that moment be filled with awe-inspiring Worship. Believe me, we will be. And it will erupt, it will erupt in such a way that we will experience joy inexpressible. And this will never stop. This will never stop. Now, the carnal mind 
has a hard concept with heaven. The truly born-again Christian, but yet carnal, because they haven't given their life to Christ, they haven't let him have their life and bless it in the way that they should, they have a hard time with heaven. They believe it. But they say, what on earth are we going to do for all eternity? What can we possibly do for all eternity? They have a hard time with an hour at church. Because their hearts aren't right with God. In response to this, we'll look at 1 Corinthians, don't turn, chapter 15, verses 51 and 52. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. There lies the key. We will be changed. One moment. I've managed to put the second page in backwards. That's better. Because we will be all changed and we will have become like him. You realize that? We will become like him. Now, he will have certain attributes, all-knowing, all-seeing, all-powerful. We will not have those. But we will have his love. We will have his patience. We will have his joy. We will have his peace in such a way that is absolutely miraculous. We will never again revisit our former state here like here on earth. There will be no more battles with the flesh. How about that? We will sin no more. No more. None. Nada. No more lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. No more self-worship. No more princess mentality, whether we're a man or a woman. Okay? Me, myself, and I is gone. No more. Nowhere in heaven. No more. We're changed. No more self-indulgence or having immoral thoughts or behavior. None. No more self-confidence, pride, arrogance, condescension. No more wrong motives where we do something so we look good to others rather than seeking to do something in secret to glorify our God. No more. No more self-will and self-defiance and rebellion. None. No more anger. No more impatience. 
No more being argumentative. There will be no chance to pick a fight with anybody. And the reason why there will be no chance to pick a fight with anybody, because in all simplicity, no one will want to. If there's someone that you know that's a Christian, obviously you wouldn't be here, but that you know is a Christian that sort of irritates you, guess what? No more. Not because of them, but because of us. We've been changed. We simply love. Starting to get an idea that eternity isn't so bad. No more idolatry, no more worldly behavior or pursuits, no more keeping up with the Joneses, nothing to post in except him, nothing but grateful, thankful hearts, no more selfishness. Jealousy, envy, no more bitterness, no more resentment, no more gossip, no slander in heaven, not even inkling, nothing, no more. No more fear in heaven, nothing. No more sorrow. We heard it in the scripture. No more discouragement. No depression. No disappointment in others or ourselves. No more pain. A lot of us can relate to that one. No more torment. No more ailments. Your legs are going to feel good, Carl. No more unbelief. No more doubts about anything in the Word of God. No more self-righteousness. No more judging others. Or logitis. Carl right now, because he knows a lot, many more words than I do. He's going, logitis. Not quite registering. Well, that's because I made it up. (laughs) Jesus said, why do you look at this speck in your brother's eye when there's a log in yours? Showing the absurdity of walking around self-righteously, picking apart and judging others and sitting in a message and saying, boy, that point will be good for her. Boy, that point will be good for him. No more. No more logitis. You get the idea. There's a lot of logitis in this world. No more in heaven. No more demonic interference and no warfare with the devil. Hallelujah to that. He's out of there. He's gone. 
He wreaks havoc here, but he's gone there. No more presence of sin or the ability to sin. Remember, we've been changed when we get to heaven. We can't sin. In that we will be like him. Jesus knew all our ways, yet without sin, because he was sinless. He took upon our sin at Calvary. He paid the price for our sin with his blood. But he was sinless. You and I, when we get there, will be sinless. Right now, we're sinners saved by grace. There, we will be sinless. No more sin. No more grieving or quenching the Spirit of God that is in us. If we are truly born again believers, the Spirit of God indwells us. And how often have we disturbed the Spirit of God with our attitude, our thoughts, or our conduct? No more. Total harmony with the Spirit of God. We will be holy. Joyful and peaceful. How about that? Now, knowing this should give us a little inkling of, I think, our Savior deserves better from us while we're here. And this is what separated or separates some of us, maybe all of us to one degree or another, from the saints that we read about in the Bible. These were great men and women. They believed by faith who he was, what he was, what he could do, and where they were going to end with him forever. This realization drove them, it inspired them, and gave them a courage that wasn't normal. Because they knew who he was, they knew where they were going to end up. By faith they believed that. They knew they would be with him one day in heaven. And until then... They just wanted to be faithful. This was their inspiration to do things we read about in here. A question. Is our life infectious with Christ? Are we inspired to do things for him? And if so, what exactly and how often? You know, you don't have to be a Paul 
or a David or a Moses to do wonderful and incredible things for God. We just have to be servants, don't we? We just have to serve Him every day in whatever capacity. Some, some people think that if all they do their entire life is serve Him in menial ways, and yet they delight to do so, and they're happy in Him, and He's pleased with them, they are going to be shocked out of their socks when they go be, before the judgment. Not the great white throne. No, no, no. There's going to be a time when rewards are going to be handed out for faithfulness to those of us when we get to heaven. They're going to be surprised. They're going to see miraculous things for Billy Graham and those, those wonderful examples in the Bible. There will also be marvelous rewards for the people who just quietly served and were pleasing to God. How often do we really think about heaven? Because in the, in, the, in the center of our hope that we have in Christ Jesus is heaven. It's a big part of our hope in Christ. Once we're born again, we're issued a fast pass. And God will decide when it's going to be used for us to go to heaven. But it's ours. And it is not reversible. If you're truly born again, no matter what your conduct, conduct, it's not reversible. It is still yours. You can never lose that. If you're truly a born again Christian, you can never lose your salvation, period. But we should do and live in such a manner, in such an appreciation, and realize what awaits us. It should affect our conduct. My favorite character in the Old Testament, and there are many, and they're wonderful, and they're inspiring, but mine has always been from the first time I read about Ruth. Because I can relate to Ruth. I wasn't raised in a Christian family. Oh, my mom sent my sister and I to church, but... I got tired of that real quick, and at the ripe old age of about 11 or 12, I told her I'm not going anymore because I didn't see anything there worthwhile. But when he finally had mercy on me, who so didn't deserve his mercy, I had such an appreciation for my Savior. I had such faith in him and in his word. The first time I ever heard that this is the inherent, inerrant word of God. I said, what do you mean? Well, it's, it's the real word of God. What else would it be? Religious people that aren't truly born again, that call themselves Christians, say the Bible contains the word of God. Tricky. But we say the Bible is the word of God. Amen? 
She married into a Jewish family, Naomi's son. She observed the contrast between idolatry and the ways of Jehovah. And she instantly liked what she saw. She instantly understood and believed. And when the time came when Naomi's husband died, both boys died, and it was time to go back to Israel, she encouraged both her daughter-in-laws to go back to their own people. Boy, I tell you, the first time I heard Ruth's response, I was ready to sign up for anything. Listen to it. But Ruth replied, Do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. And your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. And may God do to me and worse, if anything but death parts you and me. How about that? Boy, I'm telling you. We heard earlier in the, in the memory class, wow. That's a wow to me. That's a, I just stopped. I skidded to a stop. And I just camped there for days. And I love that scripture, and hopefully I'll always have it by heart. (sighs) Ruth understood who God was. And you know how he rewarded her? She married Boaz, and she became part of the bloodline for Jesus Christ. She is King David's great-grandmother. Did you know that? How about that? Now, in contrast to heaven, there is another option. But know this, there are only two options. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, let me repeat that, no one comes to the Father but Through me. It is Jesus and Jesus Christ alone in his shed blood at Calvary. That is the only way to heaven. No other way. But there is another option. Because. Eventually. Unless the rapture occurs. We will all pass away. Die. As they say, there's two things that are inevitable, taxes and death. Second Thessalonians chapter 1, 8 and 9 says, Dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And by that, obeying the gospel means accepting him. The gospel is the good news. He came. To save us. Easy. 
Who can't say they're a sinner? Yeah. I qualified early in life. Confess your sins. And accept his free gift of eternal life. Who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Now, the portion of Revelation that we read this morning, one through seven, verse eight says this. But for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters, And all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And all those who hear the gospel, but reject it. I'm always amazed with some of these macho guys that say, I'm not going to heaven. I'm going to hell. I'm going to enjoy Life down there with my buddies. Newsflash. No one sees anybody else in, in hell. It's darkness. And it is such a horrific darkness that you cannot comprehend. My cousin and I once took a trip back to Colorado. and We stopped at the, in Utah at the Lehman Caves. And we went down in the tour, you know. The guy had been there for 40 years, and so he was a few fries short. But, but he knew the place. He knew it really well. And so he came to a part of these little stairs, and there was this handrail. And he says, now I need everybody to hold on to the handrail because you're going to experience something. You know, I don't need a handrail. And he says, because when I turn the lights off down here, you're going to experience darkness like you've never known. And you will lose. Any sense of balance. That wasn't be enough. <laughs> Hit the road. He turned off the lights. And I went down like my granddaughter. <laughs> Boom. Because <laughs> I was smart enough to just buckle the knees and hit the ground. It is the most helpless feeling you can imagine. Grope, nothing. You have no sense of anything. Anywhere. It's, it was amazing. This is hell. But this isn't just hell. Hell also has something awaiting those who reject God. Remember, they make the choice. Torment. Horrific. Agonizing torment. For a week? No. For a month? No. For a year? No. Forever. The whole time we're in heaven... Enjoying being changed, being like our God, and life is good, they go on forever. It does not ever stop. That is the penalty. Is it worth it? I'm amazed at the people who hear these things and understand them. And never get it. They simply don't get it. Because they have self-confidence that this is a lie, but it's not. This is the truth. And the tough guy 
or the intellectual or the unbelieving, the moment, the millisecond that they leave this world and they go to hell, that very second, all has changed and they know. There is nothing but shock and regret that they didn't decide to make the right choice because they know instantly that they made the wrong choice. Oh, my God. They were right. And then off they go forever. No second chance. In closing, I just want to read you a poem. I found it uh, quite a blessing. So with eyes closed and heads bowed, before we pray, I just want to read you this. It's simply titled, Weep Not for Me. And he asks a series of questions and he gives the responses to them. Would you like to know where I am? I'm at home in my father's house, in the mansions prepared for me there. I am where I would be, no longer on the stormy sea, but safe and quiet harbor. My working time is done, and I am resting. My sowing time is done, and I am reaping. My joy is the joy of harvest. Would you like to know how it is with me? I am made perfect in holiness. Grace is swallowed up in glory. The top stone of the building is brought forth. Would you know what I am doing? I see God. I see him as he is, not through a glass darkly, but face to face. And the sight is transforming. It makes me like him. I am in the sweet enjoyment of my blessed Redeemer. I am here singing hallelujahs incessantly to him who sits upon the throne and rests not day or night from praising him. Would you know what company I keep? Blessed company. Better than the best on earth. There are holy angels and the spirits of just men made perfect. I am sat down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of God. With the blessed Paul, Peter, James, and John, and all the saints. And here I meet with many of my old acquaintances with whom I worked and with whom I prayed who came hither before me. And lastly, would you know how long this is going to continue? It is a garland that never withers, the crown of glory that never fades away. After millions and millions of ages, it will be as fresh as it is now. And therefore, 
Weep not for me. By Matthew Henry. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we've had the opportunity to take a glimpse, thanks to you and your word of God, at heaven, at what awaits us. Help us now, Lord, as we are still here, to be faithful to you, to forsake all other than you, to set aside those things that have been troubling us, the sins that gnaw at us, the sins that hold us. Help us to just forsake them and to live an honorable life for you, one that is worthy of all that you've done for us and are doing and are going to do. Help us never to lose sight of this as we walk through this world. Let us always have heaven in view. And for those who might be here today that don't know you, Lord Jesus, make them understand how much you love them, how much you want to give them. Whether they've been in unbelief, disbelief, whether they've been religious yet without faith, Help them to take that step for the rest of their life. And we pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.